episode of Pablo Held Investigates, my podcast where I talk to my musical heroes and peers about their creative process and inspirations behind the music. In today's episode, I get to talk to the great Jochen Rückert, a personal hero of mine and the most amazing drummer who I've been checking out since I was a teenager. I think the first record that I've heard was Paul Heller's Kaleidoscope, an amazing album that I still go back to quite regularly. And of course, Weave by Achim Kaufmann, one of my all-time favorite piano trio albums. And Jochen Rückert's own introduction his debut album which is amazing and I always played <laughs> along to that album and uh, still do. He has had a big impact on the Cologne scene, on the German scene, I think overall the whole scene of uh, jazz and improvised music. He's an outstanding drummer, a great guy. Uh, he's always very frank in conversations, you know, he speaks his mind and I really appreciate this. Uh, he also did it in this episode you know, uh, where we talk about his uh, personal development uh, on the drums, how he came up in the Cologne jazz scene and made his move and wound up playing with Mark Copeland, Kurt Rosenwinkel and lots of other great people. You know, when whenever he came to Cologne, it was always a no-brainer for me and my friends to go see him, you know, he, whenever he, he would play with Route 70, that was kind of a, or still is a legendary band out, coming out of Cologne. We would always go see them and ask them questions afterwards. It was a big uh, honor for me to finally get to play with him. I think the first time was in 2009. If you want to listen to me and Jochen playing together, you can do so on my latest album, Meet Me at the Loft, which is available on my Bandcamp page. It's uh, me and Jochen uh, together on one track where we play Herbie Hancock's Domo together with Ben van Gelder and Felix Henkelhausen. I really hope you enjoy this episode. It was a big pleasure for me to talk to Jochen. Yeah, I wish you lots of fun with it. If you would like to support the podcast, I would like to encourage you to become a patron at patreon.com slash pabloheld. It's a growing community of supporters of the podcast and uh, I'm sharing exclusive content with them like lead sheets, my notes, I'm doing online hangouts and listening parties with them. And also they get a discount on the investigation notes notebook that I've put out, which is available on my Bandcamp page. And yeah, please hit subscribe and leave a comment. I always read them and I wish you now all the best and on with this episode. One thing that I always admired about your playing is a sense of clarity. Even when it's very complex and, and uh, going for it, which you know you are always in a way in terms of what you play and how you play it, when you play it. I was wondering how you worked on that. If you strike a drum, it's a pretty, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an event. Uh, can't be undone and it's very sort of you know it's, it's automatically a very clear instrument to be playing I guess you know a percussive instrument like this and um, and you have to kind of whittle things down because you know we don't have chords and, and, and pitches really or melody you know melodies we have to as drummers we have to kind of operate on a, on a different kind of level of um, just you know of of uh, expression just because we have a little bit less stuff to work with you know we're, mm. we're the only 
instrument in the band that doesn't have any pitches really so um, just being very clear about a statement is 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 one way um, I can achieve that I think and um, yeah it's just I, I was just trying to not hide uh, behind stuff you know that's uh, maybe something that I see often in and musicians that I don't enjoy listening to too much is <laughs> trying to hide behind, um, you know, something, or maybe it's an insecurity thing. Um, so, yeah, with clarity, um, it's 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 a little bit of a, also like a you know I guess it's a stylistic um, decision to make you know mm. to um, not kind of fog things up, but really kind of. Go for it. Hmm. I have actually no idea what I'm talking about right now. I... <laughs> it's fine. That's fine. Go ahead. Clarity. <laughs> yeah, it's totally unclear what um, you just said. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> no, Don't I, hide yeah, behind something. I, I know what you mean in a way. I just try to. Maybe are you talking about like I'm playing and then I'll just do something and then and then it's it's a thing and then it stops. You know what I mean? Like it's like a clear. Yeah, it's not like this sort of. It, it goes on on many levels, I think. It goes on on many levels. It could be like, could be like a rhythmic thing that you're putting on top of something, but making that really clear. But it's also like, when how you, <laughs> time-wise, also how you, you know, isn't there's never a question where you where you mean the beat, where, you know how you mean the right. beat, and uh, also that's connected to another thing that. I mean, it goes together with dynamics in a way that uh, I feel like you you spend more or you you concentrate on that more than others have a very very um, developed sense of dynamics uh, within a line within Thank a you line very much. within a within a rhythm or within a, just a I don't know overall shape of a, of a tune maybe also. Yeah, as uh, as I mentioned, that, maybe that's what I was trying to say. Just because we we cannot, you know, like I, I cannot play a chord, I can't play a pitch, you know, per se. Like just the other things, uh, the sense of dynamics has to be heightened just to sort of kind of compensate for that, you know. Like mm. we're we're working with less, uh, you know, less a smaller like. Uh, smaller what's the word palettes with mm -hmm. you know we have less colors so we have to use them boldly in a way maybe that's maybe that can be an explanation hmm. um well i'm trying to be as clear as i can when i play the drums yeah i don't know i mean it's also it's also a matter of like for some for some people who don't think about it as much Dynamics is a question of am I playing too loud or you know or whatever, but I feel like with it, within such a nuanced way of looking at it, there's there's a sense of um, it's not a sense of am I playing too loud or whatever, but what am I playing, what do I want to bring out and what not you know and and um, right, and I feel like especially when I, I mean already when I listen to you. To your playing early on, I, I've, I can I can see that 
already, you know. I I think what it what what's part of it is um, so if you're just your perception of what's too loud or you know am I playing too loud is if you're playing something that doesn't feel good and it doesn't really matter if it's going to be too loud or too soft you know if you <laughs> if you're playing sure. like something that's awesome then you might you know you might get away with being too loud yeah you know when Tony Williams was playing in the sixties this shit was loud yeah for a while. But it was so awesome and so new that it was just like, okay, it's fucking loud. Yeah. Or Elvin's probably was probably pretty loud, you know. Yeah. But uh, it was so awesome and it felt so good that that's fine. You you are somebody who who can play super soft but keep the energy so high, and then in the right moment you play something mm. extremely loud. You know, you know what I mean. But that might just be <laughs> something that that you want to bring out or whatever within, you know, I, th I think I've uh, read in an interview of yours where you said, like, if you play softer, then you can make the, 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 the moments when you want something to be loud or to be more in front, you know, you can make it more effective. It does, it does have a yeah, more I mean, of an effect. There is a ceiling. I mean, there's kind of a ceiling, uh, a ceiling and a floor of your dynamics, right? So if you... I mean, you can't get louder than, a, you know, like till you break a stick, you know, mm -hmm. that's as loud as you can play the drums. But um, so that's limited, but you can always get a little bit softer, I guess, mm. you know, technically. It's an infinite uh, curve. So maybe that's that's what I was trying to say. So you get, it's, you know, the, the, the lower you start, the more um, you have left to, yeah. yeah. But but I how mean, did I, you I learn? I remember like, how did I learn this? This is how I I I just listened to Brian Blade, just get softer and softer and softer, through the '90s I guess you know like, hmm. when we all saw him in the early '90s he was, you know playing like very sort of traditional full on, drums you know and then just started like getting softer and softer and softer <laughs> every year, you know? Like we saw him, we were like, oh, now he's just playing like this. And then by the early 2000s, he was like a different, it's like a whole different drummer altogether. It's crazy, hmm. you know? Um, that's kind of where I was like, oh, okay. Let's try that, you know? Start really soft. Hmm. But how do you maintain your technique in, in that soft play? Because it's easy to play something you know, more in it, maybe when it's louder, but it's really hard, I think, to if it if it gets softer and softer, you know, yeah, to maintain I, everything. I just try to practice. I just try to practice softly. You know? I play. Right. I play. I practice uh, a lot of dynamics if I ever do practice, and then you know, I play. I play a lot of gigs where I just can't. I I I used to play a lot of gigs when I was young. Where I just had to play really softly, you know, um, piano trios in like a restaurant or something. Yeah. Um, or, you know, on like I used to play with Mark Copeland's trio. I played quite, you know, fairly softly there most of the time. Um, so much so that he was kind of like, okay, you know, like once a set, it was obvious that he was creating a one space to be loud, you know, for me, just because I was so, I was playing quite softly. Um, 
Yeah, I just had a lot of practice doing that, I guess, you know. So mm. A lot of people I played with where I had to play very softly. Or just situations, rooms, you know, certain rooms too, like when you go to you play a, a tour or something and, you, you know, this is like the church gig or some room that's very live, it has a lot of reverb. Really, the only way to to deal with that is to play as softly as you can, you know. Mm. And I've, I've played those kind of situations often, so... Um, that definitely helped. And yeah, to maintain it, I, I just try, whenever I practice, I try to also practice very softly and um, as well as all dynamics. You know? mm. But yeah, I especially work on, when I practice a thing, I always try to play it at any volume I, I can, you know, if I've mm. practiced a certain figure or something. I always try to make sure to, to have, a, uh, to, to also practice it very softly, which mm -hmm. is usually the hardest. At, just yeah, just because it's like such a, yeah, the, the headroom thing, you know, like just hitting the drum with this much uh, way to go to hit the drum is obviously harder than if there's more, you know, space to compensate for. for yeah, but I mean, um, if you play soft, if you play softly, that that doesn't have to necessarily say that you lose your sense of weight in the tone. Right. Um, it gets complicated there with the whole combination of the weight of your stick and the uh, way your drums are tuned, and it gets it gets very complicated. But yeah, there's a certain way uh, to tune drums that sound better this way, that way, blah blah. That's endless. <laughs> it's an endless conversation, you know. Like, um, the, just if you play softer sticks or smaller sticks or thinner sticks, I guess, doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna sound. Lighter, you know. I mean, softer. Yeah. It's just gonna sound. It's it's tricky. I mean, there's certain uh, boundaries, you know. Like you can't you can't play like very loud with very thin sticks. Because mm -hmm. um, it'll, it'll not sound good. Um, but also, it's also it's not really that that it's harder to play soft with heavier sticks. And then then there's the the wood, you know, there's some sticks that are uh, it's a harder wood or a softer wood, you know. Mm. Those are all um, factors there. But um, yeah, it's a, a drummer <coughs> theme. <laughs> the people can talk about this for a long time. You know? Yeah. Um, light symbols. You know, I have fairly light symbols, maybe, but I used to actually. I used to have very dry symbols, uh, dry sounding symbols. And I've changed maybe over the last, uh, maybe like 10, 12 years ago. Yeah, I, w I wanted um, to ask you about that. 14 years ago, I switched to having more uh, symbols that have a, more of a sustained sound, you know. Mm. Um, so that's that makes a big difference to it. But did it go hand in hand with your decision to, to go to a traditional grip? Uh, a little bit, yes, yes. It's just a little bit more of a traditional sound, you know. Mm. Um, and I kind of, I feel like it just, there's something that happens when you play very sort of trashy or broken cymbals, you know. So I used to have a lot of old cymbals uh, from the 50s and 60s that were maybe cracked, you know, or fixed. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you know Jonas' cymbal. Uh, that, yep. that, that I used to have some of the big crack in it and stuff, you know. I mean, that was 
as bad as shape uh, Silver can be in, really, you know, and still be playable. <laughs> but it kind of sounded awesome, and I had yeah. this sort of, like, you can really smack it, and it gets this, like, cool shoulder crash short thing. Yeah, it doesn't but get also, in the way. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, so it has a certain something, but um, I, I was looking for something that just carries me to the next beat a little bit more. Mm. in a soft thing you know like sometimes when i play a very dry room or something very dry symbols it's hard to just get from one beat to the next you know mm. like i need something to ring a little bit more mm -hmm. it's the same shit with drums like if i show up and there's a rock drum set or something it's very hard to let it breathe you know it's like the drummers tend to then just sort of fill it up like you know yeah the, the automatic thing that happens when you when you have a rock drum set or something that doesn't speak, you know, it's like you just start filling everything up with triplets just just to <laughs> <laughs> you know, just to get uh, just to get to the next quarter note, you know, sure, to be yeah. honest. So um so it was it's, it was a little bit in that in that vein too, just something to help me uh pull back a little bit, I guess. You know. Yeah. But did was it was it a gradual process or because when I look at recordings or my rem remembrances of seeing your life, it seems like it all happened in the during a you know similar time. Yeah, I mean, let me think. I mean, I do remember that like uh, Kurt Rosenwinkel told me once, like, hey, why don't you try something that's you know not as dry or something. First, I was like, "Fuck you," <laughs> and then, but then later, I was like, eh, "Okay, he's got he's got a point." And um, maybe, I think that's it was a little bit like it was something that you know I knew that's not it's nice to have like symbols that are, that just give you that little little bit of um, it's almost like a buffer or something, you know. Mm -hmm. And I felt like for a while I was kind of like, "Oh, I don't have to." You know, think to the level where I need that symbol to help me. That kind of thing, maybe. Yeah. That's stupid. Um, you know, it's a weird sense of pride about. I mean, also, you know, the symbols are like really hard to find, and, and sure. You know, that particular one that I get, that, that Jonas has now. Um, like, you know, I found it in like a shop in Istanbul that I was selling, like mostly like tea like metal teacups and shit, you know, like on the wall. Wow. And it was, it had like, it had like, you know, so it has those big holes, you know, like yeah. there's like maybe 40 holes for rivets in there. And they had these big rivets in it that are not symbol rivets. They're like aluminum, like way too big, you know, so the holes were way too big. And so somebody put all these rivets in there and then they didn't like them. So they just hammered them like flat into the symbol, including breaking the symbol around each hole a little bit. Yeah. So I just the way I found that symbol was just like Jesus Christ. I mean, yeah. It was like a miracle or something. So just you know, they, they every drummer has this weird uh emotional connection to the symbols that is you know, it's 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 uh it's hard to break a bond um but it's also it's nice to you know try something new and be fascinated by a different aspect of cymbals. Like when I started playing cymbals that are a little more ringy, I also started 
going uh, one size bigger. So I used to play mostly, most people play up to 22 inches. And so that was also the time, also it was the time that it became available, you know. All of mm -hmm. a sudden you could buy a 24 inch cymbal. But I, I remember in the, maybe in the 90s, I didn't even really see any 24 inch cymbals, you know. Mm. So that became something that was maybe more available. Uh, so it just kind of all went hand in hand. I was ready for, to, to, for something new too. And um, it was beautiful. <laughs> did you, did you uh, then uh, play that kind of symbol with Kurt? Uh -uh. No. With, with Kurt, uh, that was like the end of, end of that symbol, for example. Right, okay. I mean, also, um, I play this pretty loud with Kurt, you know. Like there was always a thing where I feel like he wanted me to play louder. Um, I was definitely, that was the, the loudest I've, I've played mm. up to that point ever, you know. Um, so, yeah, maybe in a way, if I would have had symbols that were had like more sustained or were more ringy, then it would have probably been louder as well, or felt louder, or maybe satisfied whatever he was looking for, you know. I was just curious um, if, if you would have seen any, uh, you know, any difference in his playing that, you know, this this change of symbol maybe would have had, you know, yeah. this is why I asked. Yeah, that's maybe a little, yeah, I, I wouldn't go that far that you could be able to tell the difference. But yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it definitely has a, yeah, it, it does sound, it can, it can sound louder, mm. quicker with a, a symbol that's not that dry, you know. Mm. But it's it's a complex um, thing, you know, it's, I used to, I used to think I had more of a clear idea of, of how that works, but I think it's actually more complex, you know, like there's something about the weight of a symbol and, uh, but then it's, it's really more complicated. It's about the weight, where the weight is on the symbol. It could be like, you know, distributed, like if it's thinner in the bell, it does something. If the bell is a certain shape, mm. you know, those, those are all factors. So, um, back then I just thought like, oh, the, the thinner, the lighter a symbol is weight wise, the, the better I'm going, the more I'm going to like it, hmm. which is not necessarily true. Yeah. That's something you learn over the years. You know, <laughs> when you get older. Yeah. <laughs> you when you reach a certain life, age. You, know, you understand that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> People of a certain age. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but I mean, yeah, it sounds super corny, but it's a little bit like that. You know? Yeah. I, uh, I finally found out that it's this. There's some symbols I've never thought I'd, I would like that they actually, you know, I find the beauty and then I finally recognize the beauty of these symbols. Yeah, you've mentioned Kurt, uh, and I know it was a special thing for you to play in his band because you have, you know, you were seeing him in, at Smalls in the, in the 90s, checking him out. And then also you've asked <laughs> yeah. him to play on your first <laughs> album. Um, so yes. I, can you wow. maybe, um, yeah, t tell me a little bit about your you you guys' history together, and also the you know maybe we can start by when you first heard him live, and also the I, w I want to get a little bit of history on your first album, and then how you wound up playing in this band later on. Okay, so I moved to New York, um, and then you know I was maybe in my late. I might have been 19, 20, 18, 19, 20, something like that. And um, I, I do remember I was, I 
put out a, quite a few albums at the time that I was not super happy with, maybe. <laughs> uh, if anybody would like to look up. Uh, yeah, let's make a list. At that time. But anyway. <laughs> huh? Let's yeah, make a list. I'll, I'll, uh, <laughs> no, there was a couple of things I was like, oh, oh boy, you know, and then like we did that thing for, um, oh God, we won, this, what was the, uh, like, uh, yes, um, Hennessy, right, yes, uh, it was a German, was it German or European, it was probably a German jazz competition thing, and it had a lot of press attached to it, and we recorded something and I wasn't wasn't so happy with that and so I was like hell-bent on putting out something you know myself um, and so I um, I kind of rushed to record something and I wanted it to be you know I kind of at the time I liked a lot of crisscross albums weirdly you know there's that Mark Turner album Yam Yam and yeah Seamus The Call yeah yeah and then what else was there Peter Brinson album, stuff like that, you know. I was kind of into that stuff, so I wanted to just, like, you know, do something sort of casual, and every, every, the, the, the thing at the time was to play uh, sort of standards in art meters, you know. That was just just happening. I guess Brett Mildow's first uh, major label thing came out just around then, maybe. Um, it's like 97. Brett Mildow, is that what it's that's when that came out? I think that's when your album came out. And as introducing Brad Mildo, I think, oh, yeah. was earlier than that. Like 95, maybe, or so? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was, you know, kind of like, when I moved to New York, that's what we were all doing. Oh, let's play this in seven, let's play that in five, blah, 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 you know. Um, so, yeah, so I recorded an album um, doing mostly that. Um, and, and Kurt was on there. Um, and we just, yeah, um, it was one of those, no rehearsal, just met at the studio and did it, you know. Did you know him before? Um, I remember it was, uh, yeah, Personally, I think so. You mean. Um, so I used to go to Smalls, you know, every, I mean, almost every day anyway. And so it used to be a weekly thing. Um, work, uh, Kurt Spent was playing maybe Tuesdays. Sammy House Spent was playing Wednesdays. Maybe it was like Omer Avital's band on Thursdays, something like that. And then Friday, Saturday would switch. Um, and so, I, you know, I always be there Tuesday and I was fascinated with, with Kurt's writing mostly. Um, she's so incredible, you know. And that was kind of when he was writing, or he was just basically performing all the stuff, I think maybe, uh, yeah, in the early 90s, you know, 90. 394 so um, and he had a quintet at the time sometimes he'd have alto he'd have mark and alto sometimes he'd he have like alto. Myron Walden oh. play alto. even Myron or Andrew actually Andrew D'Angelo hmm. and then sometimes he would have piano um, or keyboards even uh, at small mostly piano so um, yeah, I was, I was just there all the time. So, I, yeah, I probably talked to him. I, I was also drunk, and um, as was he probably. So, um, you know, back then, it was, it was, Smalls was a bit of a scene, you know, like, it used to go, the, the gig would start at, like, 10.30, 10.45, 10.45, 10.45, 10.45, 10.45, 10.45, 10.45, 10.45, 10.45, 10.45, 10.45, 10.45, 10.45, 10.45, 
that, you know, so the, that was the main band would play from 10.30 to like 1.30, and then the next band would play from 2 to 4, and then there would be a jam session from hmm. 4 to 8, you know. So there was definitely a few late nights, um, and yeah, we all hang out, you know, Kurt would hang out and just get, just get totally slaughtered. Um, so I'm, I'm sure, I, yeah, I'm, I, I've, I've, I've before. Maybe I played a session with him or something. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I called all, all those uh, guys and I kind of sang, I remember singing some of the arrangements over the phone, over like a payphone <laughs> to them. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, let's, you know, we'll play this in seven. And they were like, what? How, how do you afraid that I would be on the phone? And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I also remember Kurt being like, oh, come on, can I just play in four? And I was like, oh, okay, let's, you know, we'll have this solo section in seven and this in yeah. four. But it was very casual, you know, like, um, I think we we recorded for like six hours total. Did you write out any of the um, arrangements? Or was it more? No. No. No, I don't think so. Not really, no. Yeah, um, the other little arrangement there is uh, the pent up house is yeah. that what it is no yeah oh this is just friends but that's actually hayden's arrangement so mm -hmm. uh, i did have a rehearsal with hayden and johannes at the time so mm -hmm. we just kind of played for those students but yeah um so that album i put out uh back then so in the 97 as you said maybe something yeah. like that um and yeah, so that was my big moment breakthrough album. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was like a Cologne label, actually. This was a fusion label at the time. The Jazz guy line. that was Marcus Borger. Remember mm -hmm. him? No. Do you know this guy? No. He was a piano player that was in Cologne at the time. Anyway, he was kind of running their like, jazz effort, helping them book people, I guess. There's some, so there's a lot of fusion stuff. There's, you know, I'm sure you know the um, Jim Beard records around there. Yeah. There's a couple, right? Um, there's some other German drummer, such a little girl, woman, I forget her name. But anyway, whatever. Uh, that label went under pretty, pretty quickly after that, so. <laughs> Wasn't your fault, I guess. Very quick. They put my album out and it immediately <laughs> went bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what else? What did you want to know? Oh, how is it I, just uh, your no, no, your your uh, story with Kurt, how that evolved after that album, and then you oh, wound okay. up playing in his um, band. Yeah, so the, the, he was on my album, and that was the late '90s, and then I think he called me to. I played a lot. There was a while I played a lot of jam sessions with. There was a. I don't know. Chris Bauman like, is the, uh, Chris Bauman. Uh, there's also a record yeah, with I you played, guys together. I played, uh, Kurt was on Chris Bauman's album. Yes, that was shortly after. Uh, Chris Bauman is an alto player who was also my neighbor for a while um, from Philly, kind of. Um, and then. Yeah, I played a lot of sessions as well. We played a lot of sessions at Mike Kanan's house, who was a piano player, awesome piano player. Him and Joe Martin, and we just, I don't know, we were obsessed with learning all bebop songs. We just played like 10,000 
Mm. I mean, it would be like, go, I go there at noon and stay till like five or something. And we just play, you know, medium tempo standards all day for, for a long time. And he had that kind of standard band for a while. At Smalls, he would just play like sort of tunes, you know. Yeah. Um, much different than, than his regular band. Um, but yeah, he never really hired me, and then and then I I don't really know what did it, but so he moved to Zurich, and then, you know, we're, we're kind of friendly friends, you know. I I I remember going like skiing with him and Penman when he was in Zurich, and um, you yeah, know, just hanging out. Um, but I think when he started calling me, it must have been like 2004 or five or something. Um, yeah, I don't really know what. What made what what did it for him that he was finally like oh, I'll call Jochen because you know I mean he calls a lot of drummers like he he uh, yeah he went through so he he goes through like, a lot of drummers so I don't know what it is about drums that makes him so um, fickle you know but so up to that point it was always Jeff kind of and then you know that he had this sort of bebop band and he would call this um, older gentleman uh, oh, I forgot his name he had a very simple straight ahead uh, pocket kind of drummer uh, or Joe Strasser um, and I think maybe maybe he saw me play I feel like maybe he saw me play with Neil's band actually mm -hmm. in Berlin and maybe that was something where he was like oh okay so you open maybe he's never really heard me in like a band setting you know because his stuff is very like I mean it's like a thing you know it's not like who this play a few tunes you know it's like you kind of have to get in there um and study his music to it's you know it's it's, it's some some different shit so um yeah, can you maybe sorry for a couple of gigs johan can you elaborate on that yes can you elaborate on that the, his tunes are very i mean they're very strong and some of them are much more complex than you might think, you know? Like, I remember listening to whatever, Shivago or something for years, and then finally, that, only then I was like, oh shit, there's a, what if there's like one six bar phrase in there? Like, I never noticed that, you know? But I, then, there's a lot of music for me that I just, something that I even listen to a lot, you know, like, I listen to a lot of, like, mid 60s miles or something i was never aware how complex that shit really is you know what i mean like yeah i wasn't quite sure what the fuck is going on it's like oh it's sort of you know but like some some of the forms and stuff you know how advanced at it that the whole that whole thing is yeah so i feel like kurt's music is a little bit like that like i was so familiar with it in a way but i've never really looked like i never really like analyzed it or like counted out anything you know mm. so i was kind of surprised and he does have a very some some things he's kind of like whatever you know, just play sort of you know like his more jazz sort of tunes they're pretty self-explanatory there's some some hits and and then the form right but um some other tunes that are more vibey he has a very clear idea of the certain drum part actually or um you know, he wants it to have a, 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 to be a certain way, you know. Mm -hmm. And then there's the, I mean, there's a classic, he's actually, thank God he could actually just sit down at the drums and uh, play a part for you. Like mm -hmm. I remember him doing that for 
couple of songs, you know. Yeah. Just sort of explaining the the vibe or the basic pattern or something, you know. Mm. For example, uh, remember that song, Use of Light? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has a certain kind of, yeah, it's almost like a pattern that he wants, you know, or at the time he wanted, you know. Um, and it's like that with some of the other songs, especially songs he was writing maybe just before that, um, mm. that also never really made it onto records, you know. They have a specific sort of beat. There's this one song I remember just had this weird, like, turned around rock beat. Like, you just hit the snare on the one and three. Mm-hmm. It's like a backbeat, but really slow. What was that song called? Reminds me I of something remember. on Enemies of Energy or something. Yeah, no, it's not. Um, this is after that. It might be a song called Undercover. Mm-hmm. Not sure. I'll find it. But, you know, a, there were certain things that were, you know, you had to kind of learn them, or you had to talk to him to find out what he wants, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's, it, it, the weird thing was that it was always clear that, you know, like you, you're just there for a little bit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the next drummer is, is waiting. Um, and so, but that was cool. I was kind of like the B guy for a while. And, mm. um, so I got the I was playing the like the kind of late end of his quintet. So there was a quintet that then had uh, Harland in it for a bit. Um, that's kind of when I came in. I think I was subbing for, or either for Eric or for um, Jeff Ballard actually at the time. Mm-hmm. And I just you know he'd call me every now and then for like a week or something. And he called me once when um, that's actually the one with Albert that you talked we talked about. Mm-hmm. That was when Ari was playing. Mm-hmm. And Ari's right, yeah. father-in-law died, and he had to like go home quickly. And mm-hmm. I went to sub for him the last two gigs, something like that. Um, but anyway, there's you know there's a lot of drummers. Um, Kurt would you know he only ever had like two bass players or three bass players <laughs> in his life, but like he would switch drummers a lot. So um, yeah, I def I was definitely sort of on the edge the whole time, you know. Mm. Um, and I, f- I feel a little bit like he might be, that's something that he thrives on a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of conflict, uh, sort of tension that uh, that brings. To, I actually don't know. Maybe he fucking hates it. <laughs> it's like, his drummer's always like, oh, shit, you know. Uh, but he definitely, yeah, he definitely wants somebody in there uh, with a lot of confidence, maybe, mm-hmm. you know. Um Ted Poor was also playing for a while. Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, 10,000 drummers, you know. Yeah. And a, a lot of them, you're like, what? You know, like, they're so different. Yeah. Which is kind of cool because it's, you know, it's not like he's looking for somebody who plays like Jeff Ballard, you know, which is, that that's already a tall order right there. But, um, you know, he's just looking for something. What exactly that is, we don't know, but it's not like, you know, how you would be like, oh, let's find somebody who plays like Mark Turner. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's not it's not so obvious, you know. It's much, much deeper than that. So, um, but anyway, so I was, I was uh, doing the end of the quintet, and then he kind of started that quartet with, with Parks for a while. 
and that was more or less like a touring band for a while. We did we we played a lot, uh, just quartet with Joe Martin and, and Aaron Parks. Um, yeah, and then that ended, and then he's he started playing a little more more trio, um, and then I've only played in the trio once. Um, yeah, I feel like it ended with Parks, and then he moved on from there. You know, mm-hmm. he's been playing with with other people. Alan Mednard, yeah, was great. Um, now he's playing a little bit of quintet again, so I don't know. But yeah, so I was doing that maybe from like 2004 or five through like maybe 2010 or something, 10, mm-hmm. 11, maybe. What would you say you've learned from him? Mm-hmm. Um, well, in general, it's just from his thing, I, I do realize how important composition is uh, in yeah. jazz. I mean, it's just so, such a strong thing, you know, like his tunes are... I, I mean, oh yeah, I remember, I saw, I, I saw it a little bit again, it was like Orlando and and Parks, you know, and that was just after uh, Star of Jupiter came out. And I was kind of, I learned all the songs, and I talked to Orlando, and I was like, oh, this is a little bit like playing like a... You know, some of the tunes are kind of like playing a pop tune, just kind of play a thing, you know, like there's parts, kind of like the rock beat or whatever, you know. And I was like, oh, this is a bit like uh, playing a pop gig, huh? And like Orlando was like, yeah, this, but the tunes are so nice. <laughs> it's totally fine, you know, that whole thing about like, oh, I'm going to play my solo and, you know, do something different every night. That kind of, that that was sort of the attitude I had when I was younger. I was like, oh, jazz has to, you know, be different and improv- improvisation, blah, 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 you know. All that stuff, it's all, you know, if you write tunes like Kurt, it really doesn't, doesn't really matter, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's maybe what I learned, the importance of yeah. of composition. Yeah. You know. um, I want to go back a little bit um, again uh, to one of my all-time favorite records. And I, we've talked about this before, but I, I want to go there again. Right. Yeah, it's Weave um, by... Right. Kaufman. I can't remember anything, dude. I cannot remember anything about that. Well, that... <laughs> <laughs> I can barely remember anything about that time period. Why is that, though? It's because I'm old. <laughs> My brain doesn't work anymore. I can't remember shit. No, it's it's very... Yeah, I do remember... I can't. I somehow cannot picture being in a studio or something. You know? Yeah. I do remember rehearsing uh, for it. You know, I remember when he wrote those tunes. And does he like play? There is something where he plays it forwards and backwards. And uh, I remember working that out in rehearsals. And mm-hmm. how was he when when you when you guys rehearsed? Was he very hands on or? Uh, what was the rehearsal process? You know, like? I think I mean, back in the day he was super. Sh- I mean, I don't want to sh- say shy, but I mean, it's borderline, uh, borderline self-harmingly. Uh, like you know, just like like if he wasn't a hundred percent convinced of something, he would just 
not know what to do, you know? He's the exact opposite of somebody who'd be like, ah, you know, I'll be fine, just, uh, I'll be fine in the street. He's the exact opposite, you know? Well, like he, yeah. if, if, even if, they, and I remember Ingmar, the bass player, was like really into it, and he was like, this is great. What are you talking about? You know, he would be like all down on himself. It's like, oh, this, this song is corny, or this is, I don't know if this is good. And Ingmar would be very encouraging, hmm. you know? Um, and yeah, you could definitely see the struggle with him, Archimedes. Uh, and I think I, I guess he's gone more, um, more uh, abstract maybe in since then in his career and his playing in general. Right? Would yeah. that be a fair assessment? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely gone um, to the dark side, as we like to say here in New York. <laughs> <laughs> You know, he doesn't respect the tradition as much as... No, he... Uh, yeah, you know, I, I feel like maybe that was... And that's probably why there's quite a lot of people I know that like that record a lot, because it's just on that verge there of somebody mm. who's coming from a very strong, you know, rhythmic and harmonic uh, sensibility who's really pushing to go away from it, you know. Mm. Right. I, I remember feel like he was pushing. He wanted to go more into out territory, and but he was sort of bound by this, you know, just playing a trio, and 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 he just maybe didn't want to go all the way there. And so that's maybe why I know so many musicians that like that album a lot, that are maybe way more traditional than in in general in taste than. Mm. Yes, I, I mean Maybe. just just in general, it's a, it's an incredible album, but also a great trio album. I really love the way you dance around each other musically, and and I feel like for right now already a lot of generations, <laughs> it has been you know very <laughs> you know uh, 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 so old. <laughs> yeah, this is the whole so the whole I'm point so of old. this interview. I want to make you feel old. And have everybody realize it, how old you are. No, but I mean, you were super young when you did it, you, when, you, when you did that album. So, no, but I mean, it's, it's a very important album for a lot of pianists, for sure, but also, you know, lots of other guys. I, I was wondering how... I, yeah, I mean, I... No, go ahead. Yeah, go. No, 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 no I don't. You I'm go ahead. I'm trying to remember... I'm trying to remember what... So we recorded in Cologne, right? Um, no, I think you recorded it uh, that studio studio bon with Holfur Wagnerson, the guy. Oh. Isn't it the studio Hanover. which? Yeah, Hanover. I think so. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I see. Okay, now I remember. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to even like remember what what drum set I had at the time. You know, mm. <laughs> stupid shit like that. Like. Yeah. I think that, that that was around the time when I just figured out like very basic things like you know when I was a teenager I had a completely wrong idea of what a jazz drum set looks like it's completely like misinformed like I thought it was supposed to like be like a you know 16 inch bass drum and like a 10 inch you know just wrong like it was all wrong and I was playing these weird fucking like uh 
sticks that were like uh, like uh, like bowling pins shaped, weird. <laughs> I mean, everything was just wrong. I mean, wrong, you know. Um, just because there was nobody who would just sit me down and be like, okay, if you want the drum sound somewhere between 1950 and 1966, <laughs> you buy, you know, an 18-inch bass drum and 12. Right. That somehow, that person, I didn't meet that person <laughs> in Bergisch Gladbach in the 1988, you know. So I was, you know, and I remember just then I was like, I when I, you know, I must have been like 18, 19, remember, I just started going to Cologne Conservatory, right? I started going there when I was 17. So mm-hmm. I just figured shit out. Like, so I, I then remember I saw like, like Josh Redman came to Stuttgart, right? And I was like, oh, oh, fuck. You know, 18-inch bass drum, oh, you know. Uh, I saw like Kenny Garrett, also with fine or like you know and then i was or i saw bill stewart i was like oh oh they're all playing the 18 inch bass drum huh you know and that's when I, that's when like a lot of stuff changed for me mm. around that time just figuring very basic jazz things out you know about sound and i had these weird ideas about what's improvised and what's not like just unicorns you know i was like oh you know I remember being a teenager and I, I, I listened to something that was obviously all written out or something or some part, a cute part or something. And I'd like, I thought it was like improvised somehow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shit like that. You know, so I just figured out, so I was kind of really excited about it. And so then there's Achim who's basically going the other way. Right. So I'm just coming from like all this weirdness. And then finally I've figured out how to get a jazz drum set sound. <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's already knows how to get, you know, like a straight ahead jazz piano sound. Now he's he's on the other projector. He wants to go out, you know. Mm. So it was a weird weird time that we we'd meet, you know. Mm-hmm. But then also I was I remember I was good I was very good at like reading. I mean I was fairly fairly good at, at reading music and, and that kind of thing, you know, like, or playing in odd meters, you know, reading complicated charts, that kind of thing. Um, so that helped, you know, in a, in a way, it was that weird cross-section, maybe. What did you do back then to, to get better at, at reading and, and all, uh, all playing odd meters? Well, I, I just remember a few things happened. Um, uh, what happened was I met Niels Wahlgren and he would just be like, oh, let's try this fucking song that goes like 11, 8, 4, 4, 7, 8, 3, 4, 5, 8, 2, 4, and, th- and then it goes in triplets to uh, anticipate it one from the second 11, 8 bar, you know, and I was like, well, you know, so I started playing with him and I really was like, I have to practice this, so... That's when I really sat down and, and, and dealt with, um, you know, like odd meters as in like, um, not like, oh, like a groovy 5-4 song or something, you know. Like that kind of shit was happening at the time. There was, you know, like, yeah, there was like the people playing a standard and seven and there was whatever, like a Schofield 5-4 boogaloo yeah. kind of thing. That, that kind of 
stuff, you know, um, and some other things that I didn't discover till later. And there's all that stuff from the 60s with some some art meters and 70s. And, yeah. Um, so I, you know, I had to kind of sit down and and then study that, and that's kind of also got my fill of that that kind of music. Like Niels was really into, you know, anything that sort of Jim Black was playing drums on and, and him and they were playing all these complicated forms and and stuff, you know. And he was into music from the Balkans, you know, that was in like a, a lot of sort of, fa you know, like a fast eighth note thing, like a nine eight or 11 eight and like a fast, like take it, take it, take it, that kind of thing. <laughs> so I, I just kind of had to study that for a little bit. I mean, I, was, I, I wanted to study that, so I, I did that maybe for a year or so, really looked into that, that kind of stuff. And so I was, and then I remember um, Achim was writing some of that kind of stuff too, or something that, that was, had some roots in, in, in that kind of complicated, um, rhythmically complicated, complex stuff. I remember, I um, mean, so especially in that time, there wasn't a lot of drummers uh, do, playing this type of music who were liberating the hi-hat in a way that you were. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but it feels like when I, you know, when I listen to Weave or you with, uh, with Route 70 or something, but especially already in the, the early stuff of yours, I hear a sense of liberation, of course, in all the limbs, well, but the, the thing that is surprising to me the most somehow is the hi-hat. Oh, yeah, so I mean, if you know, you know that that the left foot is the, <laughs> you know, is is the like asshole of the limbs, right? It just <laughs> sucks. Like, I mean, also it's it sucks the limb itself, but also the high head itself is a stupid. The fucking two things with a spring and the stick in it. I mean, the the way you attach the thing to the it's it's just fucking. I mean, it's so stupid. So, just to play something fast on a hi hat is, is already not possible. You know, like on a bass drum, you can go like, you know, yeah. hi hat's like, yeah. So, just to compensate for that, I, I remember. So, I had a drum teacher when I was like, you know, a kid, basically, when I started to learn drums. He was very like, you know, he was like into. Uh, What, what do you call it, like just sort of being independent, limb independence yeah. or rhythmic independence. So, you know, he kind of made, I remember he made me do everything I did with the right, with the left hand. And, you know, actually at the time I was kind of playing, trying to play ambidextrously. I was playing the right symbol with the left as well as the right hand. I would go back and forth. Um, so, uh, you know, there was a theme of, you know, trying to, You know, all all limbs are created equal. Thing, left limbs matter. Left <laughs> left foot matters. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, so just the limitations of the the physical limitations of the hi hats itself is tricky. You know, so I do, but I do remember specifically trying to, you know, I would whatever I try. You know, the stupid things where you go through the paradiddles or any kind of combination of a number of beats you could divide them up and so even though you drummers do that shit where they play whatever they substitute one 
hand with the other limb or you know like there'd be some some black and white figure where one part is the whatever the one hand and the other one is the bass drum that's you know when you listen to like like fusion drumming that's that it's basically the bass drum and the right hand together against the left hand playing mm. sort of parallel string of 16th notes that's that you know so i was just trying to break that up and also do that with the left foot so i i i do remember practicing that a lot and then actually the other thing at the time the bill stewart was also somebody that kind of did a lot of stuff with the hi-hat that was mm. new you know like he he would do you know remember how at that time where he would just collect like yeah, i was just gonna say that yeah spasm that thing you know but during a slow it's swing like, or oh, something wow. you know during a slow swing and yeah, then but he had a, i mean for rapid a while higher. it was like yeah yeah so i think i actually remember like asking him what i was like what is that yes i took one <laughs> lesson with bill once yeah and i remember yeah. i remember i went to his house and, and it was kind of like you know i just had the fortune to see him play a lot like close up you know you go to the vanguard or something and you sit next to the drums so I, it wasn't really like I was like, "What do you, what, what the fuck? What is that that you're doing with the foot?" He's like, "I, I don't know. I just go." And then he just sits down. And he goes, "I just do that." And I go like, "Okay." You know, I mean, like, it's not. There's no like secret there. It's just like, okay, you just go as fast as you can. Try to, you know, to invoke that spasm, like muscle frequency thing in their foot. But those kind of things. So he does this thing where he has like a ostinato thing going with the hi hat on the on the off beats, mm -hmm. or he does a thing where he has a thing going with like uh, he plays dotted quarter notes in the hi hat, yeah, like a figure underneath, and then he'll solo on top. That kind of stuff as an independence uh, of your limbs, um, which is typically something like where you would practice with your hi hat on two and four, and then you would solo on top. That most jazz drummers can do, or they can, you know, keep the 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 time going and then sort of solo with the other limbs, so that the, he extended that a little bit, uh, and that was a thing that happened at the time as well. That that um, cued me to just focus a little bit more on the hi hat, mm. um, just to to give it a little bit more. And then and then I mean not not just him, but then obviously everybody before that too. You know, I mean, um, the Tony. Did a lot, and then actually Jack Dijonette is also oh, like yeah. somebody who who does a lot of shit with the high hat, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's where that's where I got inspired to do more high hat stuff. Yeah. yeah, another important record for me. I don't know if I ever to told you this, is but it's it's Paul Heller's record with the same rhythm section. Uh, it's called Kaleidoscope. Right. And I still listen to that record, and I really love love that oh, so album. That one I haven't listened to. In a long time. I, I think that, that was recorded at Cornet Studios in Cologne. Right. Hilarious. Good times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I mean, I do have to say. I mean, I don't know, but I'm a certain age now where that shit gets pretty blurry from back then. Mm. Unfortunately, but, it's fading quickly. Okay, so I know that I did not have a whole lot of sex back then. I just remember <laughs> that one. <laughs> it's not is, a whole is that related to the to those albums? Do you think? 
Huh? Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, the the response from the <laughs> from the female listenership <laughs> was underwhelming. <laughs> no, no, but I do remember. I I, I do remember this one. Uh, we had a so then with Akim, right? With Akim, with Akim, with Akim. Um, you know, we played a couple gigs, and you know, put out the album. He tried to book something. He booked like a workshop somewhere. I can't remember where it was. Maybe it was Mannheim or Hanover or something. And we had like a piano trio workshop, and we went there, and not a single person showed up. <laughs> <laughs> not one person. We just yeah. went to the like big auditorium. We took a fucking train at like six in the morning, and we got there. And then we set up, and it was like nine thirty, and then not one person showed yep. up. And then we just left. Again. <laughs> without getting, without getting getting paid, obviously. No, no, we did get paid. Uh, oh yeah, great. Yeah. For high school, uh, high school. I mean, it was like a, <laughs> you know, like a music college. You know, right. Everything. Yeah, <clears throat> that's funny. But I mean, um, okay, may, one one last try. Uh, let's let's go. Okay. Maybe. Oh man, there's what are you some... looking for? I mean, I'm looking for stories uh, from back in the days where before you went to New York or during that period where you went back yeah. and forth. And there are certain bands that, yeah. you know, certain records like Achim and, and Pauls uh, that are really, really important for me. So I'm trying to get a little bit more of a of a, um, yeah. of a vibe. It's all about you, okay? Millennials. Sure. Piano player there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, no, I'll try to remember. I'll try to remember. But, you know, just I'm just remembering that time in general is so out for me because everything everything changed so much as in the internet. There was just the internet just... I, I do remember I, that was one of the first times I got an email address back then. That mm. was right when I was 18, 19, you know. And, I mean, just the way it's, things changed, it was crazy, you know. Mm. I remember just like logging CDs, just like suitcases full of CDs, you know, back and forth between New York and, and Cologne. It was crazy. Mm. You know, like having to decide, like, oh, I can only take whatever, 100 <laughs> CDs. You know, I have to yeah. pick 100 out of these 300 CDs that I have. Yeah. And then, you know, that's, and that, that's before they figured out those like cases, you know, sure, where you yeah, just yeah. put the, you don't have to. I just remember like buying like sh like a shitty like a sack kind of thing like a you know like a Siemens like sack thing <laughs> <laughs> and just putting like a hundred CDs in there and I'm about to go to the airport and it's just like it rips in the trunk of the cab and I just like you know just I show up at the airport just holding like CDs and yeah. like you know in plastic bags that all that shit is so far I just it's so hard to imagine how that was or yeah. like the whole phone thing you know like remember I remember like you have to call people and then get them on the phone at the time and then talk to, you know what I mean like I was trying to sublet always right so I always had to like call and I was massively nervous because I would have to call like whatever you know like I'd have to call like Mark Turner to get the keys to Jorge Rossi's apartment or something, you know. So it's like, you know, I have to fucking call Mark Turner, and, you know. That kind of thing. It's not like you just send them an email or a text message, you know. Yeah. You have to actually call like 
18 times till the motherfucker picked up and then that kind of stuff is so hard to, for me to imagine it but that's yeah so that was kind of the time back mm. then okay um yeah who who are the, were some of the guys who took you under their wing when when you came over then the first time to to new york that kind of showed you around and and I don't know how it how it felt for you actually to to go there. Were you scared? Um, no, I mean I was in a way. I mean I was just like very fulfilled musically, as in like I finally found things I really like. I remember being in in Cologne and there was that weird thing how things that were like rooted in in tradition were like very corny and and not done very well or something uh, but me being interested in that tradition and then just sort of being in new york and seeing seeing it done better or seeing it hearing it uh, just in a way that I liked it was I was just very happy, you know, and mm. um, just yeah, just being able to to see my favorite music like played live and watch it evolve like right there, you know, was amazing. Mm. Like I was just like, uh, yeah, in a, in a way, very happy. Not that you would, you know be able to tell from my facial expression. But, um, <laughs> uh, in a way, I was very happy. And then also, yeah, you know, it was just, I was, I feel like I was very green in the way that probably if I met myself, if I now met myself when I was 19, I would just be like, Jesus, learn some English, you know. Like, I mean, my English must have been terrible. I probably had a really horrible accent and I was probably exactly that annoying guy that's hanging out and asking questions about drums and you know mm -hmm. what I mean yep like that guy and um, misunderstanding things and not really knowing what the etiquettes are you know mm -hmm. um, you know new to the states and in a way um, in a way sometimes some people like that you know that, that you're not that sort of person that's so like yeah you're just not American like you don't really know what's going on so there is um, I, I kind of became friends with Jerome Subag, who's a tenor player from France, and then a bunch of people that were sort of in and around his apartment. So the, Matt Penman uh, was one of the first people I kind of hooked up with there. And then this guy Greg Tui, who was another Kiwi, his friend, guitar player. Um, Pete Rendy. Those are all. Darren Beckett is mm. a drummer that it's, he's Northern Ireland. Actually, studied in Cologne for a year. Yeah. Um, those kind of the people that I hung out with a lot. I mean, mostly because I then finally started getting into the loop of sort of subletting in in their apartments a lot. Um, I also kind of became friends with Jesse Murphy, a bass player. And uh, those kind of people, mm. a little bit older than me, actually. Um, yeah, those are kind of the people. Mm -hmm. um, of course, there was a few Germans that were helpful, you know. 
Remember Heinrich Köberling used to live there? I used to sell his apartment. Uh, actually, on that CD, I'm playing some of his symbols. Mm-hmm. Um, and who else? Yeah, there was a few Germans. Oh, Simon Nabatov, obviously. He, uh, mm-hmm. So he used to still have an apartment there and used to let me crash there very kindly. And, um, you know, although he was a little bit more in the more sort of modern kind of scene that I wasn't so into. But, you know, he showed me a lot of stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, so those those are the people I hung out with most. And, um, yeah, I just, I just remember... You know, we're just playing a lot of sessions, basically. We just go play sessions all the time, as in sessions at somebody's house. We just yeah, go yeah. to somebody's house and play. And that's how I basically met most of the people. And then, um, you know, um, the first actual real gig I got was Mark Copeland's band, right? So I played with Drew, Chris, with somebody else, some Canadian piano player. can't quite remember. And then somehow... So Drew was on that gig, and then he liked the way I played, and he somehow recommended me to to Mark. And uh, Mark called me when he Mark used to have a steady gig uh, Mondays at uh, Cleopatra's Needle, uh, and I guess he was trying to. I mean, it was Bill Stewart at the time, and then he couldn't make it often, so then he started calling me the sub. Mm. And that's how I started playing with, with Mark. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's basically how you met a lot of people. Just play with one person who then likes it and then recommends it to somebody else. So those you, are kind of the... Can you tell me how, um, yeah, how it feels for you to play with Drew Grass and what you've learned from him, playing with him? Well, Drew, Drew is another one that's right there on that on that intersection, right? Because he plays with a lot of people that write complex music, you know? But he also is a very good straight-ahead guy, you know? And he is, I mean, but whatever he does, you know, he plays it with, with gusto. <laughs> yep. And, uh, yeah, you know, like, back then, I didn't really think about it. I, was, I guess I was in a little bit in bass player heaven, you know? It's like, I just remember, like, coming to New York and... and all of a sudden, it was a fucking every bass player was amazing, you know. Mm. Every, I was like, you know, for a drummer, it's a big deal. Like, basically, this whole time I was like, oh, I'm trying to swing, it's not working. <laughs> and, and then, you know, eventually I played with the right bass player, and they're really swinging, and that kind of t- kind of pulled me along. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's you know that's I mean? how like, it goes. Yeah, it was a big uh, moment where I was like, oh. You mean like mm-hmm. when it's like the first time you eat pasta in Italy or something? You're like, mm. oh, that's that's what it's supposed to be like. Mm. Mm. Can you explain the difference? You know? Yeah, it's just the beat. You know, it's, it's just the, the the way where they put the beat, I guess. Mm. Yeah, when you're playing. I was swinging to him. <laughs> yeah. What do you expect from a band leader? Like you book for for a gig or for a tour or for a recording, what is important to you? Yeah. I'm the side man. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, uh, you have a, I think the most important idea, the most important thing is that you have a clear idea of what you want to achieve. Like, what do you want to do? <laughs> I mean, it's such a basic, stupid thing to say, but like, I mean, that's often my biggest complaint when I, when I, I'm in a sideman and the person doesn't really know what they're trying to do, you know? And often that, that comes in many flavors, like it comes into like, oh, you guys just do whatever you want, or like, you know, I wrote this baseline, but you know, if you want to play something that's cooler, then do that, that kind of thing, you know? But it's also all good, but if you want to just go and go for it and let everybody like do their thing, that's also a vision that you can have, and that's, that's cool. But if you don't, like often I feel like there's a lack of, of vision of what am I shooting for, you know? Yeah. Um, so that, that's one of the most important things is have a, have a vision of what your music is going to sound like and then maybe the means to get there. And then hopefully have a common denominator with what I like as well. <laughs> that's what I'm looking for in a band leader. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, that's the musical thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, then there's many, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the, apart from the, the, you know, the business side of things, uh, there, there's, there's uh, many other things of, of trust and, and reliability that, that you need from a band leader, you know. Hmm. How about uh, fellow musicians? What do you expect from them? If you, you know, in any situation, when you play with somebody, what do you, what are you looking for in, in people you play with? And also, yeah, what do you expect from them? Yeah. Um, well, I expect a minimum of, I'm hoping for a minimum of um, excitability, you know, like excitement um, about playing music in general. Um, a, a platform of um, experience, you know, and um, yeah, I, I do enjoy personalities, you know, mm. strong personalities. Is that a good answer? I don't know. It's great. You know, there's a lot of people I play with, there's, it's kind of like, oh, okay, yes, fine, you know, mm. like I'm not looking for a oh, fine. I'm looking for like, oh, wow, that guy really plays like, you know, like he's crazy or mm -hmm. he likes to play very mellow or, you know, yeah. something that's like, that's, that's very, these days, I mean, there's a lot of people that just play kind of, you know, it's, it's all fairly the same or something, you know. Sure. It's, it's, it's easy to get caught up in this sort of standard jazz person thing. You know? Why do you think that is? Uh, jazz education, I think, is to, is a big part to blame. Yeah. Um, a general just uh, culture and and just people being just just sucking. Like the more time seems to pass, the more young people seem to just be like so lame. <laughs> In my view, for me, from my view, as an old person, it's just like 
wow, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm not that, that old guy, but I've listened to that a lot when I was young, you know, like with, with musicians that are even just like 10, 15 years older than me. Like I listened to a lot of like, wow, you know, like there's a lot of really sort of maybe very inexperienced or like shy or just conf like there's a lot of hegemony is that a word this it's just very uniform you know what i mean like yeah. the, i feel like the younger the musician the more uniform it becomes as a not not just as a trend in general if i have to like you know look at the average personality of a musician of a certain age I feel like it's getting more uniform. Hmm. I think maybe. I don't see that many crazy people anymore. Yeah. And I think crazy <laughs> people are helpful. Hmm. In a way, you know. Or just crazy as in crazy even just musically or whatever. You know? Yeah. Having having a courage to be themselves a little bit more, you know, I guess. Yeah, but then also having an interesting self, you know, I hear that a lot of people so to go to the, you know, you do a jazz workshop and you oh, just be yourself, but don't suck, you know, like don't, <laughs> like if you were a boring person, then do not, don't be yourself, you know, be more interesting. Um, you know what I mean? Like people are so... It, it's, it's, a, it's a typical thing of like, you know, there's a lot of people I tell like, oh, you really have to study your whatever, you know, young musicians often you tell them too that they really have to check out the basics, you know, because they're lacking. But then after you've done that, then you have to be interesting on top mm. of that, you know, then you have to be, <laughs> right? So it's, it's complicated. I often, it's, it's hard to give the right message um, yeah. when, I, when I have to teach, for example. But um, yeah, I just feel like there's this weird... Uh, mediocre, mediocrity that, that I encounter um, where people are just sort of fine, you know, you're like, okay, they're playing okay, but yeah. there's, there's nothing memorable about it. You know? So I think that's the, that is, some of that is the fault of, not the fault, it's just the result of very widely available jazz education. Mm -hmm. the way it is right now it's just like a it's like a human centipede it's like one person shitting into the next person's mouth and then <laughs> digesting it and then just keeps going it's like a conga line of like digest like i go to the music school and then i learn to be a mediocre shitty jazz musician and then i get a job at the other music school and then I teach them the next <laughs> round. Watered down shit. You know? That's mm. what the I think that's how that happens. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Mm. So in a way also like people are not striving anymore to for the, or they're they're satisfied with a certain amount of skill or experience or I don't um, know what it is. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I mean now in, inevitably the discussion about is it better or worse that you can now you know that you now have all music at your fingertips for free you know right 
it's 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 inevitably tied in in there probably you know mm. like it's just a you're better you might be more informed but your passion the passion for each thing might be less i don't know yeah yeah i think so too i can't too. quite yeah. figure it out but it's definitely clear that those two things are related you know mm. instant gratification you know I mean, then, you, then, then comes the story when you go like, when I had to watch the, uh, you know, I had to go to my grandpa's house yeah. and dig out the <laughs> LP from under his grave. <laughs> and my first symbol, somewhere in over says, uh, I used to only play symbols that I found under a, a sleeping woman at a port <laughs> in Kadikur in Istanbul. <laughs> After, to be honest, under a sleeping witch. <laughs> With like nose, with like hair coming out of a single mole on her, on her nose, <laughs> sprouting. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure those are related. I don't know what the answer is, but um, yeah. there's definitely no going back from having all music at your fingertips. Of it. Um, yeah, I just, I just remember like I, I didn't fucking see have like a video of Elvin Jones, you know what I mean? Like, sure, like yeah. for the first time I saw a video of Elvin Jones playing drums, I was like, this I, is I how it looks, yeah, it. yeah. Was, and there was like a, what a three minute clip or something that was going mm -hmm. on. It's yeah. funny. Yeah. I remember one guy who had a DVD, it was already DVD, but DVD of that Karlsruhe concert right. of, of Miles 67. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I would always call him like, "Can you make me a copy? Can yeah, you make me a, oh, yeah. you know?" Yeah, see, this is reach how him. I got that tape. You know how I got that tape? Um, I took my VCR, and no, I took my dad's VCR. I didn't have a VCR, and then I took the subway to Cologne. And then I think Bruno Leicht, remember mm -hmm. him, yep. trumpet player, he had that tape. And then I went there and I dubbed uh, from one to the other, yep. copied it. Incredibly bad. That's already like the fifth copy of something. Sure, yeah. That's, I, I remember how I got that tape. Like I took the subway with a VCR under my arm <laughs> yeah. to make a copy. You know? It's just, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I appreciate it more now because of that. I don't know. Well, in a in a way, I still remember my my story with it and my passion for it. And then yeah. first, because uh, yeah, and the first time really digging into, I fall in love too easily and what the guys are doing, you know, with the, the mm -hmm, super mm -hmm. slow ballad time, but then building on top of that right. and the intro yeah. of Herbie and Miles and stuff. I can I can dig into that to to those memories and emotions, but still I go like, yeah, with one click I could see it on YouTube right now, but. Right. I don't have to, no way. You know what I mean? There's always yeah. already right. like... A... Hey, by the way, it, that's exactly what I was talking about. So when when I listen to that, with then they're playing like double time and then quadruple time or whatever, yeah. over a ballad like that, I never thought about that, right? Because like, I listened to it like a thousand times. Like I yeah. listened, that, that band, I listened to a lot. You know? Yeah, and, uh, me too. Not even like... I mean, now we have all those bootlegs and stuff but back then you know i only there was only a few you know there's i just listened to like four and more and 
uh, whatever that tape, and there was a couple of other things I had, but it wasn't that much, you know. But so I never really understood that it's really hard. like once I actually, and that's not that long ago that I actually sat down and I was like, well, what is the form here? Like, and I was like, oh. Yep. It's super slow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I never, ever even thought about that. Yeah. You know. Or that, whatever. Like, just now I ever looked at what, what they're doing on, on Dolores or all that right. stuff, you know. Like, I never really thought about that. Yeah. And I also never really thought, like, oh, are they really playing a form or not? Or are they just fucking run? I was always kind of like, yeah, probably-ish, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Which is still true. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's much more complicated than that, you know. Yeah. It's not even like, are they trying to play a form? Mm. You know? Are they, are they, like, purposefully leaving the form? The, all that stuff, you know, I never really thought about it. I just, that's just, oh, that's how the... Yeah, that band sounds, you know. Yeah. Anyway, I just went. That's that's what I meant when I was like, I never with Kurt's music. Like I was just like, oh, okay, that's how that song goes. I was never aware that it's actually, you know, a thing. Or there's all these little things that you didn't know that that are more complex than than I thought. Hmm. I mean, it's yeah. I like, mean, with with all great like stuff. I'm playing a ballad in quadruple time, you know. It's. And when you actually try to sing the melody while that thing, while they, while you play that, it's, it's pretty hard. You know? Super yeah. hard. Also on on my funny yeah. Valentine or something like that, you know, the the record, I get lost still, you know, when <laughs> trying to follow That's the crazy. form of Stella yeah. by Starlight in the super slow. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Incredible. Yeah. But anyway, that's what I meant. Yeah. But I mean, you you also contributed in in some regard to to uh, jazz um, education by your own video, um, and I really liked your approach hey, hey, of. Hey, I'm just trying to make an honest honest buck here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really liked no, your no, approach of of going and and taking the other route and saying this is what you shouldn't do. I really like that <laughs> stuff not to do. Yeah, I mean, right. Yeah, that should be should be like a whole ongoing series. No, but so I mean the videos thing. If it's just, I mean I should I need to make money too. You know, it's it's literally a, a, the decision to do that was like, you know, it became popular. Everybody's uh, there's like a few companies that uh, that are doing that, and you know, this is four years ago, so it's P Patreon maybe wasn't even around at the time yeah um and i have this other friend i go i play tennis with a sound engineer just by by chance he's like a big time pop like sound engineer and he kind of wants to quit because he doesn't he's you know he's like he just flies show to show and and you know he runs like basically he plays with like you know, he, he like makes like St. Vincent or some like modern pop band, something like that. And it's all the same, you know, there's, there's a click track and, and basically he just has to set it, set it and forget it, you know. But yeah, there's a lot of like, he just has to, he doesn't want to fucking do it anymore, you know. So he, he's looked into that a lot, like trying to sell online courses. And he, so he's the one that 
inspired me to do it because he but then he was he got much deeper into it because because you know, the way you make money with these things is just you really milk it it's just by selling subscriptions and like basically renting people knowledge but just as we've seen everything's gone to shit like now you can't just buy photoshop anymore like now you have to yep get a license for you that all that shit is just like you getting screwed in the ass like no publication just in they're just like uh all those companies figured that out that I, I remember like you used to buy a program and then it was yours and yeah. then if there's with an all update the updates made, you'll have to give $50 yeah or you yeah. can buy all the updates exactly you remember that shit when you you could buy a uh, fly anywhere American Airlines ticket for like five hundred thousand dollars or something <laughs> and there's they've been spending the last 10 years trying to like sue people out of those tickets you know because they that kind of thing so but I, so I, that's exactly what I didn't want to do. I, I do want to make money, but I also do not want to fucking sit there and then create more content to keep people on the subscription plan and and the landing page on your website, mm. mining email. That's exactly what I don't want to do. So I was like, okay, let me just at least do it in the least possible amount of involvement <laughs> how can i phone it in as much as i can right a, no um but so you know but then also be able to say okay it's you know i'm not ashamed of it you know because like I, I could see how it could be quite embarrassing or something so i was trying to make it at least i mean it's still very embarrassing <laughs> actually this is quite it's quite embarrassing i would editing those things was some of the worst time I've ever had my, in my whole life. <laughs> and I've had two colonoscopies so far. So this uh, worse than a colonoscopy is watching myself talk about the symbol ride pattern and then editing the audio. That was the it's fucking torture. So, um, but so I did it, and my neighbor is a cameraman. So I just we just did the whole thing here in in, in the living room in the in the spare bedroom, and um, so it's done. And that's that's how I wanted to do it. I just wanted to do it once, and then now I sell it, and I don't have to do anything. Anymore. Yeah. So I still people still buy it sometimes, you know. And I like, you know, it's not like I I put one ad up once, and it just runs. Like I put like some. Remember back in the day when Facebook ads were still working. So I have like a Facebook ad that's just run, that's just on for like 10 bucks a month. Huh. So, so every now and then some, some guy buys that I never heard of, you know? Yeah. So it's still, yeah, it's still working, you know? So, um, it's okay. I feel it's, it's like, it could have been even easier if I did it with, um, whatever my, my masterclass or one of those guys, because then you don't have to edit it. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah but they're that, slowly that's... going into that rental thing. He's still okay. You can still buy it and then own it. But I mean, it's uh, yeah. it's related to something that I wanted to talk to you. Is uh, that do-it-yourself vibe is something that you've yeah. uh, you know that is somehow uh, that I associate with you you know for as long as I know you you know. And it takes hmm. you know it, it takes form in you know okay I'm going to write a book. You know, or I'm gonna right. put out my my <laughs> record like I wanted. You know, with uh, with how yeah. I you know I wanted to look or whatever. 
and then right. you do your own masterclass videos. Right. I was wondering how how that came to be that or that that you know that decision of okay, nobody's going to do it or here not... here here it is. Everybody sucks at doing shit, and I always <laughs> feel like I can do it better. That's how it is. Mm. You know, like I see. Booking. I see those covers, the jazz covers, you know, CDs. They suck. You know? yeah. Like, I think they're terrible most of the time. Yeah. So I was like, I, you know, if I put my own CD out, I can probably, you know. That said, there's there's many uh, mistakes I've, I've made, you know. there's I've made some horrible mistakes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm very unhappy with, with some decisions, you know, on some albums. Mm -hmm. But um, I think overall, it's better to own that than to be angry at whatever your record company. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. I mean, there's this. You know, when, when we're talking about Pirate or something, I know you're you're much more tight with with them. You know, but like, so just like the cover art or like the way they do it and the way they mix it, it was just not my cup of tea you know and so just just having to deal with that i'd rather than just do it myself and make mistakes as well you know? the same with with whatever with booking or you know maybe there's a few things that i've i've really bungled like mastering or something it was a trick but i'm still dealing with mastering like mm -hmm. i'm trying to master like that electronic thing i sent you yeah uh, like i'm mastering right now I'm, eh, that's a tricky one you know like, but I just don't want to send it to some guy and then wait eight weeks and go back and forth, you know. Like, yeah. so I think I can do it myself. But some things are just not that hard, you know. And it's more about uh, artistic vision, maybe. Mm -hmm. I think in some in some things like album cover art, your artistic vision might outstrip the skill set you have easily, you know, like I, I can probably make an album, not make it, but pick an album cover that looks cool without having the skills yeah. to do it. Rather than somebody has the skills, but doesn't have the vision. Yeah. You know what I mean, yeah. Or is attached yeah. to your music like you are, you know, and you feel you, you feel you fucking find something more easily that that fits to your music or there you where you can see your music in as like the cover covering up your music in a way you know right tell me how it felt to play with ron carter oh so sweet i was a little bit scared and uh but no it was amazing i was kind of like wow he I do remember like playing like Ask Me Now or something like that. Mm. He, he played a solo and he just went into all all the little like yeah. He was just I mean it was just so beautiful to see. He was just you know it's a fucking run. He's going into like triplet time or something, whatever, double, triple, whatever. He's doing all these little you know things, the, all the Ron things mm -hmm. that one that Ron Carter's do, all the Ron Carter licks that <laughs> he could play, and. um yeah, it's beautiful. That's it was, it was really fun. Um, I was, yeah, it's a little bit intimidated, but um, yeah, it's really fun. Um, yeah, especially those standards, you know. Yeah. 
Very cool. Did he give you um, any notes? He did or, give me a or... little bit of shit. Like, it was, say what? Yeah, I was going to ask you, did he give you any advice or any uh, notes or whatever? Or... Yeah, yeah, there was one thing was like we had a rehearsal without him, right? Because uh, he, he was busy. And so there was this tune, had all these like, kicks, you know, all these hits. And then Ignace, yeah, that's not really played him like all the time, sometimes, you know. And then so then we're in the studio with Ron and uh, we're playing the song and I'm not playing all the hits. And he's kind of like, come on, man, you got to play all the hits. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, but we, you know. Uh, and then, it's like, a rehearsal, isn't it? But when we played it, it's, uh... <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, no, he's super sweet. You know, I mean, he, you know, he is a very scholarly. In this, you know, I mean, he's a that uh, he teaches a lot, right? So he uh, and he's a walking. Uh, uh, lexicon of, of of jazz, you know. So yeah, no, we did have a little. We did all like chat a little bit about Miles band, that band, you know. But um, yeah, no, it's it just uh, yeah, it's just really fun mm. and an honor. Yeah, as well. And you guys sounded great together. It's really cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, how is it for you? Because as I said before, you know, um, talking about Weave, but we can extend that to, to you have had uh, such a great uh, influence on, on a lot of drummers already. Um, have I? I think so, yeah. Um, a lot of European drummers, huh? <laughs> well, the, the ones that I want to talk about are Europeans, yes. Um, yeah. Um, because if you if you look at somebody like Jonas Burgwinkel or Christian Lillinger or Fabian mm -hmm. Arens, I think they all had their specific Jochen phase and 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 or more um, various phases of, of checking you out and, and really going deep on what what you're doing. How is it or how was it for you then to see those guys work through your stuff but take it somewhere else maybe but how how do you how how was it for you to to see that um well okay so so the, my influence right on those three guys let's say okay um um is obviously uh if if there is any that can be linked i mean uh, you know, my influence is again, you know, like I feel like if there's a certain thing I'm doing that they're maybe aware of because they heard me do it, you know, I'm, I've heard that I took that from somebody else, you know, so it's, it's not really my influence on them so much as the combination of all my influences. Sure. On, you know what I mean? So like, that's how it works. That whatever, there's some, there's some things that Fabian does that are very, uh, that are things that I also do that are very Brian Blade-esque, you know, that I've taken from Brian, um, imitating Brian. I hear that in him, you know, in a good way. And then, and with Jonas, um, uh, yeah, there's a certain sound thing and a certain thing about... Uh, 
Yeah, there's there's a few. Yeah, with Jonas, it might be a little bit more like uh, certain figures and stuff, and the way he uh, um, hits the rim shots, or like he has a lot of rim shots. Um, that's something that that he might have heard me play. Um, and with Christian, I'm actually not not sure what uh, what the influence is there exactly. Um, but me watching that is, is it's nothing where I'm like, oh, this came. From, yeah, I wouldn't even really think about that, to be honest. I mean, I don't really know what uh, Christian, where all that came from, because it's some crazy shit, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that motherfucker is like, whoa, you know, like, Jesus Christ, you know, you hear play the drums and you're like, you know, there's there's no drummer that can. Uh, that won't be like blown. Away. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. That's some crazy. Idea of, you know, like his. It's like the he has a new RAM processor. Like, and we're still like on a, <laughs> you know, like a. He has he has like the new, fucking Mac, but we're on like a, a Atari like 1040 or you know, Nintendo. Nintendo 64. <laughs> He's got like the PlayStation 7 already, the chip, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, I don't really see, that I, except for that I'm also German, play jazz, I don't really see so much of an influence. In it, yeah. You know. Maybe, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, the... Uh, I don't know how um, I don't know how to put this into a question or if this is really a question at all but I've, I've noticed you to be very uh, um, of, of younger generations uh, people who, who came after you uh, being very very supportive and then taking them under your wing somehow and yeah, really? I don't know. yeah, I, don't I always know. thought I was being an asshole. <laughs> well, no, seriously, I was well, okay, yeah, no, go ahead, go ahead. Um, tough love, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I don't know. Am I supportive? I don't, I'm just trying to be nice, you know, because we're all, I mean, we're all musicians, jazz musicians, we're gonna be nice to each other, you know. <laughs> How do you deal with um, having self-doubt? Feeling feeling bad after um, a show or after recording or uh, feeling bad without <laughs> any um, any reason? Yeah, I mean it's a vast topic. Um, I I like many of my colleagues uh, have like light depression. Um, uh, and in general, it's not a it's not a great time. It's not yeah okay. So being a white drummer from Europe in two thousands, after you know after Tony Williams has happened, is just not going to be good. You know, like there you can just never. There's all these like unattainable. Uh, this unattainable greatness sort of hanging over you, you know. Um, 
I'm, you know, I'm at an age now where it's like uh, nothing's really going to happen now. It's not like my career is going to uh, improve. You know, if anything, it, it'll. Uh, I, I can be happy if if I can maintain this. You know, so it is sometimes hard to to accept accept that, um, and. Yeah, it's 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 just it's it's a whole uh, bucket of, of emotions of uh, self doubt or um, sometimes in my case I'm sort of I'm uh, sort of going back and forth between going like well you know this is really not a level playing field or it's unfair or you know how like sometimes you're like why is this person more famous than I am, or why is this person busier than I am? But then, you know, once you zoom out a little bit, the whole thing is just so ridiculously petty, you know, that um, it's it's easy to uh, kind of forget about that, you know. But mm. in a way, I also feel like... Um, yeah, I don't think I, I've, I've, I've like couldn't, could have done much better than I did, you know. Like, I don't think I'm like, well, I should have practiced more back then or something, you know. Mm -hmm. Or like, I'm just not a musical genius, like, <laughs> A, B, and you know what I mean? Like, that's that's what I was gonna say earlier. Sometimes it's like, okay, you know, uh, Kurt Rosenwinkel is also just a human, but like, why does he fucking write so many great tunes? Just you know. And I don't write tunes like that. Why are his tunes so much better? Um, uh, yes, he's been writing tunes for like a thousand years, and you know, but then also there's there's a certain ingredient there that's just like it's uh, it's gonna have to accept that it's not gonna happen, you know. Hmm. Like I'm not gonna start writing like amazing tunes like that, and so I'll have to be fine with that. Just like I'm. Yeah, I'm not gonna be like super rich, or um, the, the or like a sort of drumming prodigy, or what that kind of thing is. Um, yeah, it's just something that you uh, slowly have to succumb for, succumb to that that life is just but a freight train speeding towards death, the inevitable, <laughs> <laughs> inevitable uh, seizure of of seizing of, of life and no um, it is yes it is what it is but I get super dark sometimes I have you know get depressed um, you know about music about music career that's it's ridiculous I mean if you think about it our job is pretty ridiculous you know like now here they so they have the same unemployment everybody gets a certain amount of money like uh, for a while, they were giving you roughly half of the money that you used to make last year. Mm -hmm. So if you made whatever, if I declared $2,500 per month last year, now they're giving me half of that. And then for a while, they gave us $600 on top a week, right? So I'm just like, wow, this is more money than I ever made in my fucking whole life, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so that just shows you how sad that is, like how low, how little we 
sometimes I'm like, why, you know, it's like you take the subway, you go to rehearsal, like you download that person's like, folder with like hundreds of PDFs and you spend two hours listening and looking at PDFs, printing out shit, fucking take the subway and you rehearse for like three hours, take the subway back, then you play the gig and then you get a hundred dollars. <laughs> you know? Yep. 100 and or like I go to the supermarket and like now it's like I shop for a family of three it's like $200 easy you know every few days it's just so ridiculously badly paid it's it's amazing that we're alive I mean it's amazing that that I'm still I mean I, I guess I got lucky with uh, my family and stuff but I mean that's a tough that's fucking tough man Hmm. I mean, but Especially what gets us age too. what gets us through it is the, is the love for the music, right? I mean, otherwise, we, <laughs> if you just do the math yeah. and you know, unemotional course, like this, yeah, yeah. you know, if you just do like, okay, what's the outcome of this operation and all this work and all the printing out and right. subway rides, like, right? Others uh, don't but have then that. Every now and then, in, you in have way. a bad gig, and you're like, why? Yeah, right. Well, you might not love music. That's the moments when you're like, fuck. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because those happens. And then also, you know, like, so now I'm 45. There's um, definitely, it's, a, it's not, the, not a great age. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's like, def so the, I was the young guy, you know, I was like super young till mm -hmm. like 35. I was like the youngest drummer to ever yeah. play drums from <laughs> Germany, you know. Um, I was eternally like 20 till like 34. And then, and then, like that was, I feel like that was kind of like the peak of like my business. I was like playing with Kurt and I played like I started subbing in like Madeline Peru's band for a little bit that's that's by the way why I own an apartment because uh, she paid as well and um, mm -hmm. I didn't spend the entirety of my salary on cocaine um, and so that's that's why I'm actually okay because I, I me and my my wife and me bought an apartment back then and uh, you know so so we've we've done okay, but um, since then I've definitely money-wise, it's it's it's, uh, it's definitely gone down a lot. And so that was like ten years ago. Hmm. That was like my peak year, <laughs> 2007. Yeah, 13 years ago. I think that's what I made the most money I've ever made in my life. Except for now, when I get unemployment. <laughs> now I make even more money <laughs> It's ridiculous. Which is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, there's a few people like that. There's some waiters and stuff that are like, they're like, why would I go back to work? But, but yeah, mm. so that, that was only for a few months when they paid that, this little extra bonus money. But, um, uh, but yeah, ask me in, in a year or so. But being the, being the young guy, um, I've yeah. I've had the same uh, thing happening to oh, me. Yeah, you're still you know. the young guy, no? No, no, it's it's it is no, no, oh. I'm, no. But you know, no, it's, gone. It, it's gone. I think. Um, but yeah. I had it for a long time, and I was so fed up by it. You know, uh, being yeah. because you you always refer to as being the the young guy or whatever, and that imagine uh, being a woman. 
Right. You always fucking want <laughs> Melissa Adana, the woman. Yeah, sure, yeah. Can you imagine how sick she is of that yeah. shit? Oh my god. Yeah. Ooh, it's a woman with a saxophone. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a whole other story, of course. Get that dirty saxophone, little girl. Yeah. No, I was just I was just yeah. gonna ask you, um, like, uh, weren't you all also a little bit uh, happy that the young guy bonus is a little bit worn off after a while? Yeah, yeah no, no, no. It's, of course, um, you do realize that then once. There's a point where you're a certain age where you, you know, people like switch their band around to get another young guy, you know. So I lost a lot of work uh, in the last 10 years, and I'm not. Of, I'm waiting for the age where it's like, oh, Jochen, yeah, yeah, he's still playing. Let's get him. He's still you know? playing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's, still, you know, like when Billy Hart, like 15 years ago, I was like, oh yeah, fucking Billy Hart is still playing drums. Let's uh, let's get him. You know, mm. let's let's book a tour for him. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. So, uh, 15 years, I think. Then maybe I'll, I can go get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, Jochen, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the legend bonus. He then play, used to play it for hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. It's just a weird. I guess it's just like a little plateau that you hit. You know. Mm. Um, but no, I'm. I'm actually enjoying. Uh, like right now, just enjoying having a time to to uh, yeah write stuff at home. That's kind of it's kind of nice in a way. Like weirdly, I don't have to stress out about money right now. Because usually I do have to kind of stress out about money. And you know, being a band leader, that's a constant sure. like fucking nightmare of trying to get the the cats the cats paid. You know, trying to keep the bread for the cats high and. Uh, <laughs> So don't have to. There's no band leading right now. It's fucking awesome, you know, in a way. Like I don't even have to think about if I'm if there's some gigs I could be booking. There's no right. gigs. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so in a way, it's it's uh, it's a nice little break, but only because somehow financially it's okay. You know, I don't have to stress. I don't have to go. Fuck. You know, like teach kids online or something. Like that. Mm. Yeah. That would be bad. Um, so yeah. Can we maybe? What was your question? I forgot. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I'm fine with going somewhere else, but it's. Um, let's maybe close by by talking about uh, important concert experience that you've had, you know, witnessing concerts as a as an audience member. Uh, that had a had yeah. a big impact on you, and maybe where where you maybe can pinpoint something that you've learned from, or whatever you know, eye-opening moments. You've already touched a little bit on that, you know. Yeah, it's it's really hard to whittle it down. Um, it it basically comes down to like seeing somebody for the first time. But almost all, like every jazz legend or something I could talk about. It's like I do remember seeing the first time seeing Elvin Johnson. It's like wow, you know, mm -hmm. like the, you know, we, I, I only saw him like the, towards the end of his life, and uh, like me and Hendrick actually <laughs> smock, right? We yeah. got in the car and like followed him around for the summer. He was doing like a little tour. Um, 
and so that was definitely life changing, you know, just seeing that person like in that force, you know, or seeing seeing Roy Haynes. Like I'm just talking from drummer perspective right now, like mm -hmm. seeing Roy Haynes play or something, you know, it's kind of like, oh, wow, you know what I mean? Um, and then yeah, and then those those gigs, Kurt's Kurt's band, just seeing that like on a regular basis, just play that kind of music was was. Uh, was a was a big one um yeah that's about it um there's a few few like classical performances that i saw as a, as a kid that i was like kind of amazed by like what um man i think i i feel like i saw like a penderecki one of those like symphonies that ends in like a big C major chord <laughs> with like 400 people on stage with him directing. I think that I saw that when I was like 15 or something else. Just mm. like, I mean, I was fucking scared of scary music. Right? Yeah. Nightmares. But I just remember being like, geez, wow. You know, like, yeah. I was like, you can evoke so many feelings with music, you yeah. know, like this is crazy. That that was kind of like a big moment too. I said, like, "Wow!" Um, but yeah, so top of the head, that's all I can think of right now. Mm -hmm. Oh, I remembered another thing. Uh, I think the when you when you went to New York the first time, you took a lesson with Bill Stewart, but also with Jeff Tame Watts, right? Yeah, yeah, I took one with him. Yeah. How how was that? How was that for you? Oh, yeah, Tane is just, uh, he's such a sweetheart, you know, he was so nice, I mean, yeah, he's just, like, super nice, you know, when I say lesson, I mean, I was just basically just went over there to smoke cigarettes and uh, drank coffee and, you know, talked shit, like, I can't even really remember what I was asking him to, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. it's probably it was more like a little bit of, like, a validation thing, like, you go... And you play a little bit, and he doesn't say like, "Oh, you're fucking terrible." Like that's that's what you're looking for, you know. Mm. It wasn't really like, "Oh, hold the stick this way," or you know, you're doing this wrong or something, you know. Um, but I, I, I'm sure he said something. I can't really even quite remember. Um, yeah, but he's totally sweetheart. Um, yeah, he actually gave me a symbol. He sold me a symbol for very cheap. Mm. Um, yeah, that was when he was still in Brooklyn. Um, but yeah, I can't, I can't really remember. Yeah. All I remember is that I was blown away how, how nice he was. Yeah. Right. Um, cool. Yeah. Thanks, Jochen. Thanks for doing this with me. That's it already? That's it. That's already it? That's oh it, man. Oh my God, I was going to go into all the dirty secrets, you know. <laughs> so... We can always do a part two, but have right now theme. I have to, I have to go actually. But okay. Pat Metheny, go ahead. Has a flight case. When I played with Pat Metheny, he had a flight case. The, a flight case full of the same <laughs> fucking shirt and pants and shoes. Like there was, Ooh. it was a wardrobe flight case, and it had like three times the same fucking shirt and the same pants and the same sneakers, like, just lined up. That's it. They're ready to wow. be, like, put on an airplane. 
Whoa. I swear to God. Okay, give me another one. It's, it's also awesome. No, that's all I can think of right now. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you have a lovely night. Yeah, you too. Um, I'll see you uh, in Poland sometimes. Ah, in <laughs> eight months, nine months. I guess so. Yeah, let's hope for that. Let's play again. Okay. Thanks, Pablo. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye.